Thank you so much, Brother Francis. It's been a great blessing to, to know him and also uh, having him as one of my elders. I don't remember saying that to you, <laughs> that I have that strong conviction about preaching the gospel. <laughs> but it's good. It is good. It is a wonderful blessing. I think uh, the Lord has used you in many ways to encourage me, even just bringing the short yeah, reminder to me. I think that's very precious, that the Lord has given us great privilege to preach the gospel. Amen to that. Amen. Thanks for helping me read the rest of Ruth chapter 4. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 4. You know, I didn't even know this is the first Sunday of the year because I was so uh, excited about or busy preparing this sermon the last two, three days. It's amazing. This is the first Sunday of the year. Wow. Turn to Ruth chapter 4 and the title that I'm going to talk about is uh, this topic of bitter trials. Bitter trials. And the book of Ruth, if you were to summarize the truth that God wants to convey, that God wants to reveal to us, is this, from bitter trials to profound blessing. From bitter trials to profound blessing. It's been a great joy that I can bring this truth to you on the first Sunday of the year. And I trust the Lord has His work. The Lord has His uh, word for you this morning. Yes, as we talk about, yeah, there's been uh, many trials the last year or two. But we want to trust God for His profound blessings. And that is Ruth. Let's look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. The rest has been read. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the kinsman redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I 
impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and to Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. That's the passage. And to help us understand this passage, I just give you five words. Five words as we trace this story, this important chapter of Ruth, and it's very relevant to all of us today. Five words. First word is court, a legal court. Second word, address, the address of Boaz. And third word, sandal. Sandal, how important is that? And fourth, benediction. Benediction, prayer of blessing. Benediction. And the last one, outcome. Okay, five words as we look at this passage. Court, the legal assembly. That is the opening of chapter 4. You can see there, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Boaz has gone up to the gate. The city gate is where legal proceeding or the business of the day conducted. It is an important place where important decisions are made. So Boaz has gone up there and he pretty much summoned the court to convene. That's what he did. But to understand this court thing, Let's look at the background of what had happened from chapter 1 to 3 as you think about the court. Well, Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 tells you this story happens in the time of the judges. The time of the judges. So what is so significant about the time of the judges? If you were to turn back a few pages to the book of Judges and you will learn the time of the Judges. 
with chapter 1, I'm sorry, Judges 21, the last verse summarizes it well concerning the time of the judges. And you have there in the book of Judges chapter 21, the last verse. What does this last verse say? In the day of the judges, there is no king. There is no king. And everyone, what? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. That is the time of the judges. If you have read the book of Judges, you know it's extremely evil time. In fact, in chapter 19, just, just a few chapters behind chapter 21, you have a man cut his wife into 12 pieces or his concubine, his wife, into 12 pieces. What kind of evil is that? And that is the time of the judges. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. It's lawlessness. Well, in this background, you have the story of Ruth. You have the story of Ruth. And you also learn just the beginning of chapter 1 of Ruth, after you get the time of the story, you get the story of Naomi. Naomi. Just the first few verses in chapter 1, you will learn about the bitter trials she goes through. Ten years started with a famine in her own land, and there, Naomi and Elimelech and two sons, they had to sojourn, had to journey somewhere that they can find food. And they landed in the land of Moab. And then what happened? Bitter trial did not end in the land of Moab. Her husband died. Elimelech died. So she still has two sons. Life is hard, challenging, Still has two sons, but then two sons also died. So Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law. Two daughters-in-law. And what happened to her? At the end of chapter 1 of Ruth, you will read that she didn't want others to call her Naomi, which means in the original word, pleasant. She didn't want that. She said, call me Mara, bitter. Life is so bitter. So she and Ruth returned to Bethlehem because she heard that there is bread in the land of Bethlehem. So she returned there with Ruth. And you also know about this important character, Ruth, the book named after her, she did not leave Naomi. She stays with her, even though Naomi pleaded with her or urged her to go home. Don't come with me. There's nothing there for you. And I'm so uh, well beyond my childbearing age. 
I will not be able to give you another son to take the place of a husband. But she stays and her famous words, where you go, I will go. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. She is a believer. She is a believer. She followed Naomi home. So these bitter trials has really shaped Naomi's view of God. In fact, in chapter 1, she was saying that God is going all out to attack me. His hand is against me. So as you read, by the end of chapter 1, you, you will probably ask, what will happen to Naomi? Life is so hard. Even like today, now is the first Sunday of the new year. Some of you probably ask, what will life be this new year? What will happen to Naomi? How does God meet her in her bitter trials? Do you ask that? How does God meet you in troubles? And she is beset with all kinds of troubles. She is plagued with all kinds of problems. And her life is so hard and so bitter. Chapter 2, Ruth, you learn that she has to go to glean at somebody's field. Gleaning. That's again in the law of Moses that is allowed. In fact, Israelites, they are encouraged to leave behind some stalks of grain so that the poor will come and pick them up and have food on the table. That's what Ruth will do. She goes and glean in someone's field and the Lord's hand was upon her and the Lord's hand was working and she ended up in the field of Boaz, in the field of Boaz. It is a tough job, it is. It's a back-breaking job, picking up stalks of grain. I remember me picking up cans during my seminary days to bring it to the recycle center to make $2. It's a back-breaking job. I think about her. It's hard. It's hard. But you have Boaz, the kind man or the godly man who has compassion on her. A foreigner. A Moabite. Moabite is an enemy of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, the book of Moses, they are enemies of God's people. But Boaz show her kindness because Boaz fears the Lord. Boaz cares for the name of Yahweh. So you will read about him greeting his workers with very unusual greeting. Chapter 2 you will read. He will come to his field and say to his workers, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. He fears God. 
He wants to be a blessing of God to others. So he showed kindness to Ruth. And that's how this story developed. But then in chapter 3, chapter 3, if you are still asking, how does God meet Naomi in her trouble? Chapter 3, not much has happened. In fact, that could be very challenging as we are in the midst of bitter trial. We are hoping God to intervene, but not much has happened. But she got an idea and she instructed Ruth to go and ask Boaz to redeem her in marriage. Because that's probably a good solution for Ruth, for her future. So that's how chapter 3 ended in suspense. Because there's a problem. Boaz brought up to Ruth as Ruth proposed to him this solution. Boaz said, I am not the closest redeemer. Because in the law of Moses, the redeemer who can redeem Ruth has to be the next in line, the next of kin, the one who is closest to the family of Elimelech. Boaz is not the next in line. Somebody else. So there's a problem. And uh, chapter 3 ended in suspense because we do not know what will be the outcome. What will happen to Naomi? There's still no answer. And now, there's two people here. There are two redeemers. Boaz or the one who has the legal right to redeem Ruth. We do not know who he is. So that is the problem. Review in chapter 3. What will happen? Who is the one who is going to redeem Ruth? And now we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4, give us the answer. So the court, go back to the first word. The legal court that Boaz summoned to convene in the time of the judges, lawlessness abounds, he set his heart to honour the Lord. This thing needs to be done properly. He summoned the court. He sit the Redeemer down and he sit the elders down. He wants to do everything honouring to the Lord and before the people. So he convened this legal proceeding. That is the court. And the purpose is to settle the matter. What is the matter? Who is going to redeem Ruth? Because it's not just Ruth. Naomi is also involved. There are two widows. Their lives depends on the outcome of this court proceeding. So that's where we come to chapter 4, verse 1 
and 2 concerning the court proceeding. And God is at work. God is at work. How do we know that? As you read chapter 4, verse 1, as Boaz sat down there waiting to convene the court, behold, behold, the kinsman redeemer of whom Boaz spoke of was passing by. As you read, it sounded like a coincidence, but we don't believe in coincidence. We don't believe in luck. There's no luck here. We believe in the sovereignty of God, the providential care of God, that God is working by His mighty hand in a hidden way, in a hidden way. But that's how He works. Today, that's how He works. You don't see miracles. You don't see Him shows up and direct circumstances, settle your problem. You don't see that. But He is working providentially. He works through His people to accomplish His purpose. And that's what happened here. As Boaz sat down, who passed by? The Redeemer, the one that Boaz is going to address, he came by and Boaz sat him down. That tells us Boaz is a respectable man in the community. He not only sit the Redeemer down, but he also sit ten elders of the city down. Sit down here. We have a very serious matter to decide. Two destinies are depending on our decision here, and we have to do it in honor before God, before man. That is the court. And Boaz did not name the Redeemer. You do notice that? Turn aside, my friend, or turn aside, fellow, or one commentator say, turn aside, so-and-so, nameless Redeemer. Nameless Redeemer. We'll find out why. Let's move to the second word. The second word, address. Verse 3 to 6, you have two addresses, both given by Boaz. Let's look at the first one. Each address has a response from the Redeemer. Verse 3, Then he said to the kinsman Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the field of Moab, has to sell the portion of the field which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought, to uncover this matter in your hearing, saying, Acquire it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if no one redeems it, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And the response from the Redeemer, he said, I will redeem it. I will redeem it. 
But that's not the end of Boaz's address. Second address, verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the one who had died, in order to raise up the name of the one who had died on behalf of his inheritance. To respond, verse 6, So the kinsman redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin, impair, jeopardize my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So, Mr. So-and-so will not redeem Ruth. At first, he said he will redeem it because in the first address, it sounds good to him. He get to buy a piece of property from the hands of Naomi, which belongs to Elimelech. That is a profitable deal. That's a profitable deal. But then in the second address, if you were to buy the land, you also have to acquire Ruth. You also have to redeem Ruth. And at that point, he changed his mind. He changed his mind. Why? Because as he says here, if I redeem Ruth, it will ruin my inheritance. That's not profitable to me. So he's thinking about his own profit, his own gain. He's not thinking about being the kind Israelite who will stand for the relatives, who will redeem, who will guard the relatives. So at this point, let's just learn a little bit about the law of redemption. The law of redemption. In Israel, or in the, in the law of Moses, we learn about the law of redemption and the role of the kinsman redeemer is very important in those days, especially in the time of the judges where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Nobody in their selfish heart will look out for those who are in need. So the law of God is important. Only those who fear God will care about this law. Boaz. Boaz does, but not Mr. So-and-so. He will not really want to obey the law of redemption. What is the law of redemption? Let's have a little bit background to this law. Well, in the history of Israel, you will learn that God himself is a redeemer. Redeem. He saved. He saved Israelites out of Egypt. He delivered them from slavery. So in the mind of every Jew, if they have learned their history, they know God is our redeemer. And not only that, God is a redeemer and God wants them to be 
His redeemers to His people. So you have the law of God instructing them to be redeemers to your relatives, to the family in your clan, in your tribe. You have to look out for them. Don't just live for yourself like pagan. You have to be like me, your Redeemer God, who redeemed you out of your slavery in Egypt. You are to do likewise to redeem your people out of their troubles. So in the law, you have the instruction to all the Jewish male, in particular, male Jews, they have this law of redemption. Let me just put it this way. The kinsman redeemer, or you can say, the clan protector. There's an easy way to understand the truth about the kinsman redeemer. The redeemer God has given them this truth to make them to be the family protector, to be the clan protector, to be the tribe protector. What are they to do? What responsibilities they have? Protector of the clan property. So when a relative became poor and had to sell their land to survive, the nearest kinsman has the responsibility to rescue this relative from poverty by buying back the land and restore it to the family. And that you will learn in Leviticus 25. We don't have time to look. Leviticus 25, verse 23 to 24. Protector of clan property. And then you have another law, protector of clan freedom. If any Israelite become so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery, the rich relative had the responsibility to get back his freedom from slavery. And that you will learn. Same book, Leviticus 25, verse 47 onward. He has a responsibility for the relative's freedom protector of property, protector of freedom, protector of justice. Justice. This is the Redeemer's responsibility to protect justice in the tribe. If anyone is killed innocently, he is to avenge the blood of the relative. That you will learn in Numbers 35, verse 12, number 35, verse 19 to 27, Deuteronomy 19, verse 6. You learn that the protector of justice. And then you have here in the book of Ruth, the protector of the family name. The family name. If a man, if a Jew, die having his widow without children, like Ruth, 
Or Naomi, the closest relative, the kinsman redeemer, the family protector, has the responsibility to step in to marry the widow and raise an heir for her family so that the property will be kept in the family and also the name will not disappear from the town record. The name will stay in the land of God. This is God's land and this is God's people. So the protector has this responsibility to protect the family name. So that's the teaching in the book of Moses concerning the law of redemption. So now you look at this Mr. So-and-so. He did not care much about God's law. He cared more about himself and his gain and his real estate portfolio. His portfolio is more important than anything else. This will be a loss to his well, to his wealth, so he will not redeem Ruth. And that's when Boaz stepped in, which leads us to the third word, sandal. Court address sandal. That's verse 7. Verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the right of redemption and the exchange of the land to establish any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So, this rightful redeemer didn't want to do what he was responsible to do. He gave up his sandal. It's a symbol. His right of redemption his right to redeem Ruth and also care for Naomi. He didn't want his sandal and he gave it to Boaz. Boaz got the sandal and Boaz addressed the elders again. Verse 9, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have acquired all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and Marlon from the hand of Naomi. And also I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the one who had died on behalf of his inheritance so that the name of the one who had died will not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. That is significance. It shows Boaz is a God-fearer. He didn't think so much about his own gain. In fact, a lot of, most of the time, <laughs> to carry out the law of redemption is big sacrifice to the kinsman redeemer. If you remember in Genesis 38, Judah's son, Onan, 
he has a responsibility to raise an heir for his brother who has just died. And what did he do? He didn't want to do that. He calculated this is not beneficial to me. Raise an heir for somebody else? No. He sinned again, the Lord, and the Lord took his life. That's honor. But not Boaz. Boaz is selfless. He fears God. He wants to be a blessing to this destitute widows. A senior widow, Naomi, and a junior widow, Ruth. He reaches out to them. So he got the sandal. Praise God. If Naomi heard the news, you can imagine or if Ruth heard the news, you can imagine how happy, how grateful they are for what had happened. And that is indeed a fantastic work of God. Fantastic work of God. Boaz secured the right to redeem these two widows. And then you have the next word, benediction. Benediction. The prayer of blessing. That's verse 11. Verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Prayer of blessing, benediction, and the Lord answer that prayer. Ruth was blessed, Boaz was blessed, and they were blessed with an heir. They were blessed with an heir. And you see the next verse, the ending of the story. You have verse 13. The heir was born. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord, the Lord, gave her conception, and she bore a son. And we know his name is Obed. And he is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. That is what we mean, profound blessing. From bitter trials to profound blessing in the life of poor Naomi. God turned the whole things around by a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. So what do I mean by profound blessing? Because as you see, the last word, the outcome, the court, the address, sandal, benediction, outcome. The outcome of what Boaz God, the sandal, the outcome is blessing starts to flow into Naomi's life, Ruth's life, 
And the story was totally changed from that point on, from bitterness to blessedness, blessedness. And this blessing goes beyond blessing just Naomi. As you have read, David was the grandson of Obed. And you know who is David. And David is the answer to the beginning of Ruth. There's no king in the time of judges. Wicked, evil time. And people might even ask in the book of Judges as you read, how does God meet Israel in trouble? Ruth, the ending of Ruth, give us the answer. God meet Israel with the blessing of the greatest king in Israel, King David. And that comes from the blessing of Naomi. So it's a profound blessing. It goes beyond just blessing Naomi and Ruth. It goes beyond that. King David comes from their line. So you have the genealogy as the ending to just show that this is the work of God. This is the bigger plan of God. It's not just going to bless Naomi. It's going to bless, going to bless Israel. And of course, we are New Testament believers. We have read Matthew chapter 1. And you know the blessing did not stop at King David. In Matthew chapter 1, you will learn that the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, came from the same line. He came from Obed, Jesse, David, and go all the way down, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate kinsman redeemer. That is indeed the profound blessing that the Lord accomplished for His people. Friends, I want to end with this, friends. How does God meet you in trouble? As we have experienced, last year has been very challenging. For some of you, right, you suffer loss, you suffer grief, you suffer pain just like Naomi. How does God meet you in your bitter trials? If you have not believed the kinsman redeemer, if you have not believed the ultimate kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day because He is the one who will rescue you from the curse of sin, which is far more severe than any bitter trial that you are going through right now. He is the one who will turn your bitter trial into profound blessing. Not just life with peace on this earth, with Jesus Christ, with your sins forgiven, but in the life to come, 
eternal life, eternal blessing in His presence. Friends, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your ultimate belief, your ultimate Redeemer. You will be saved. But for the believers, brothers and sisters, based on the story of Naomi, I think you know God will meet you in your bitter trial because He is faithful and He cares. And not only that, yes, He is able to provide that profound blessing for us who believes in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, verse 20, He is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think according to the power at work within you. God is able to do far more abundantly all that you ask or think. He is able to provide that profound blessing. And He never leave you nor forsake you. If you trust Him, I believe He is going to show Himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal to Him, like Boaz. Don't be like Mr. So-and-so. You know, His name was not given. Why? Because His name is not worthy to be written down. Why? Boaz knew his name. He's the closest relative. But his name was not recorded. Why? As you know, we have read, he was not willing to make a name for others. He was not willing to raise an heir and to keep the name in the family for the relatives. So he's not worthy to have a name. He's a nameless individual, one of the few nameless individuals in the Bible who is lost for eternity. Don't be Mr. So-and-so in this critical time that you only care about yourself. You only care about your portfolio. You only care about your gain. You will be the nameless guy. We pray. We pray the Lord will work through His Word this wonderful year to make you His profound blessing for His church and for the lost. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you praise for this redemptive story recorded for us in Ruth. Lord, we pray that you will do your mighty work even right now to accomplish your purpose in our midst. And we know nothing happens now or in this year by coincidence. We know you are the one who is at work behind all things to accomplish your purpose. And we know you work through 
your church to do the work that you have ordained to be accomplished. So Lord, bless your church. I commit Cornerstone into your hand. Let your profound blessing flow out of this body into many lives for the glory of your name. For we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.